My name is Jill Phillips and I'm the creator of Who's Shoes, a popular approach to co-production. I was named as an HSJ100 wildcard and want to help give a voice to others talking about their ideas and experiences. I'll be chatting with people from all sorts of different perspectives, walking in their shoes. If you are interested in the future of healthcare and like to hear what other people think, or perhaps even contribute at some point, Whose Shoes Wildcard is for you. Hello and welcome to another episode of Wildcard Who Shoes. Now a key purpose of this podcast series is to help people make connections, to connect with the good guys working across health and social care, particularly those who might not get a huge platform to share who they are and the important stories that they bring. So it's lovely when people suggest new guests for the podcast, of whom I was not previously aware. Thank you so much, Lisa Rodriguez, for introducing me to Daisy Mackey, a young woman in the final stages of the prestigious NHS Graduate Management Trainee Scheme. I really enjoyed my pre-chat with Daisy, getting to know her a bit more and learning a bit more about her and, of course, what matters to her. I'm sure she will be a fascinating podcast guest, so I won't spoil it. I'll let Daisy tell you as much or as little as she chooses to share about herself, as that is how these things need to be. So welcome, Daisy. I'm thrilled you agreed to chat with me on the podcast today. How would you like to start? Thanks so much, Jill. I think I'd really like to start by telling everyone a bit more of how Lisa made this connection between us and how this has kind of come about. And it's all happened quite quickly, actually, hasn't it? It has. It was all over a couple of weeks. So as part of the NHS Graduate Management Training Scheme, as, as Jill mentioned, I'm just coming to the end of my time. We are really lucky to have experiential learning sessions for every module that we complete of the course. And Lisa came to speak to us in our last virtual experiential learning session about her book and her experience as a chief executive of an NHS mental health trust. And although she's come from a clinical background where most of us as graduate management trainees haven't, it was so fascinating to hear her insights and her experiences living with a mental health condition and being a chief executive of a big NHS trust. And we had the amazing opportunity to ask her some questions at the end of her session. And I asked her how she'd felt being able to hide or conceal or choose not to disclose her mental health condition because she'd mentioned that she didn't disclose it she didn't feel comfortable disclosing it at work for a really really long time until a few years before she retired she mentioned and I mentioned to her that I'm actually a wheelchair user so I have a very visible disability that when I'm at work in person I don't have the opportunity to be able to conceal it or choose not to disclose it because it's the first thing that you see about me. You see me, you see that I'm several feet shorter than everyone else because I'm sat in a wheelchair. And people often make judgments about that and about my capabilities and what I can and can't do from that. And I mentioned to Lisa that actually in my previous placement, I was working with Southwest London ICS and we were working almost exclusively remotely because of the pandemic. And so I'd been able to make that choice 
to not disclose my disability for the first time in 10 years in the time that I've been disabled because I was just ahead on a screen. People couldn't see my wheelchair. And I'd found it really shocking people's reactions meeting me after a year of working with me and suddenly seeing that I was in a wheelchair. And, you know, Lisa was was so kind and so intrigued about what I had to say. And she really kindly sent me a copy of her book with a really lovely message in the front. And she connected me with you. And that's kind of how all of this came about. But we had our pre-chat on Friday a few days ago, and we got sort of talking about that identity and how you choose to appear to people at work when you have a disability or a long-term condition and how to navigate that in the NHS. So for me that was fascinating because I think through the series I try and collect lemon light bulbs I call them which is people suddenly realising something and I love discovering my own lemon light bulbs as well if you like. So that idea of how some of these unknown benefits of the pandemic really that you had that experience of actually being able to present yourself on screen and then people meeting you afterwards or what you choose to disclose and and the fact that Lisa did have that choice but you normally in real life don't so I thought that would be a really interesting aspect for the the podcast and then the whole issue of working with a disability within the NHS so you may know a guy called Rob Webster, who I really, really like. He's he's on Twitter and he's one of my favourites. So Rob is the chief exec of the integrated care system in West Yorkshire and a very, very real guy. And I met him when he was chief exec of I think it was Yorkshire Mental Health Trust. And he got this campaign about bringing your whole self to work. So including mental health and really encouraging people. I just found it fascinating that it's not just about abilities and disabilities and healthcare needs, but it's about whole people, perhaps the sort of things that attract stigma, typically, but also in a more positive way, skills and talents that people have got, you know, the guy that's also the football coach or the the person who's very talented with whatever it might be, and how much richer life can be if those whole people come to work and there are opportunities perhaps to bring that creative side of themselves to work, as well as just what is actually on their job description, and how much richer that can be for everybody. So I found that really interesting. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that sentiment of, of bringing your whole self to work. I really like that. I think that's what I realised in my transition from working mostly online to my current placement where I'm working in a mental health trust in person. And I realised actually my disability gives me a lot of skills that are really helpful in a workplace like the NHS. I'm I'm a really good problem solver because I have to do it every day. I come across buildings every single day that don't have a ramp, that aren't accessible, and I have to find ways around it. And that's a transferable skill. And a lot of people with disabilities or long-term conditions or mental health conditions may not realise it, you know, because it's a part of yourself that often you feel the need to hide at work and feel that stigma that sadly is is still around and potentially those people because they've had to hide that part of themselves and they've not been able to bring their whole self to work they've potentially not explored 
the skills that having conditions, long-term conditions, disabilities, mental health conditions can actually give you and how much of a benefit it can be because we think differently to other people in the workplace. And yeah, it's been it's been a really interesting transition actually going from working in a very strategic role, mostly online, where accessibility issues weren't particularly prevalent because I was fortunate enough to be online all the time and therefore there was nothing particularly relevant to my particular disability that was in the way. But being in person in in a mental health trust in a very old building, things come up every day. (laughs) And Uh. I know when I applied for the training scheme, I thought, it's the NHS, it's hospitals, they're going to be wheelchair accessible. We see patients who are disabled every single day. (laughs) I'm a patient, I go to hospitals and they're fine. And actually for staff, there's this (laughs) underlying expectation that people in wheelchairs, people who are physically disabled, don't work in the NHS and things just aren't set up for us. The amount of bathrooms that I've found, staff bathrooms that just I can't even fit my wheelchair in. Wow. It's absurd. It's happened in multiple places. You know, the amount of places where there's not a ramp or there's no space for me to actually enter an office and turn around. It's it's been quite an eye-opener and, and quite shocking. And I've not come across another wheelchair user yet in the NHS. I'm sure they're out there. But I've not come across many people like me, I suppose. And I think that's why it was really nice to have the invitation to come and speak with you, actually, Jill, because I'm really hoping I can kind of get my voice out there and get it to the people who are feeling the same way as me, maybe, that it's just them and that they're facing these accessibility barriers and maybe they're not aware of the skills that being disabled can give them. So I think already one of the hosts of the big conversation, I don't know if you were aware of the big conversation, obviously it wasn't big enough because it didn't include you. Oh, you did? (laughs) There's a doctor who's a wheelchair user. Hannah, Dr. Hannah Barnum-Brown. There we go. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But I know what you mean within your day-to-day life within the NHS. Yes. Making these connections, I mean, people that you may know of Mm -hmm. or can get to know or perhaps even meet in person it's special isn't it because we need to know people like us Mm -hmm. and compare notes it might be informally or it might be something bigger I started off really talking about connections Mm -hmm. and I think connections are so interesting Mm -hmm. and so rich and I'm sure at some point we're going to talk about your current placement Mm -hmm. which does bring an overlap with my big pal Fabob's flow and so Florence Wilcock and I'm coming down to London tomorrow as we're recording this to see her TED Talk as part of NHS TED Talks. So just mentioning that really in terms of connections that I've made through my work Mm -hmm. and they're so valuable I think in terms of the work that we're trying to do to be a little bit bolder Mm -hmm. together, a little bit more provocative Mm -hmm. in a constructive way you know as you're saying to just highlight some of these issues that people probably just don't normally think about and when they do it brings change. Mm -hmm. Yeah exactly I think that's the thing I as a wheelchair user, I don't expect people who aren't wheelchair users to know what my accessibility needs are. You know, how would you? You can't, you can't know everything and people's needs vary so much. And I, I did have another bit of a kind of light bulb moment in my last placement relating to this, actually. I was really lucky and I was able to do some work on projects relating to adults with learning disabilities in southwest london which was so rewarding and was an area i just had no 
idea about before. I'd never been exposed to working with people with learning disabilities. I hadn't grown up around people with learning disabilities. And so it was really new to me and I had an awful lot of learning to do. And I was working on a project on how to make sure that more people with learning disabilities were able to access their annual health checks, yeah. which is an NHS program that's been going on for a while now. And it's just a check once a year for people with learning disabilities, with their GP, just to kind of make sure that nothing's been missed, that they're having a kind of full MOT, that somebody's involved in their care, and to make sure that anything that needs to be changed can be changed. And there's a really big problem because a lot of people with learning disabilities really struggle to access their annual health checks. And I'd, you know, assumed that because I'm disabled and I'm a wheelchair user, I knew everything there was to know about accessibility. And that was wrong. I was very wrong. (laughs) And actually, I hadn't considered that for some disabled people, particularly for people with learning disabilities or autism and other neurodivergent conditions, they can't communicate in the same way that I can. They can't advocate for themselves in the same way that I can. In the way that, you know, as I mentioned earlier, if if there's a step and there's no ramp, I can say, you need to get a ramp. I need to be able to access this building. It's my right to be able to access this building. But somebody with a learning disability can't potentially. And it's obviously a really huge spectrum. And so everyone's needs in that group is so, so different. And It was a really, really big learning curve for me to understand that everyone's needs with disabilities and long-term conditions are so different and there is no one answer to everyone. There's no one box fits everyone. And yeah, it was a really big eye-opener and I, I did a lot of learning about that. And I've since, as you mentioned, I've moved on to my, my final placement, which I'm with Southwest London and St George's Mental Health Trust, and I'm working with the perinatal mental health team. So this is the area which Flo works in. It's it's Southwest London. So there's there's quite a um interesting crossover actually, an interesting connection. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you've closed that circle because I realised that it was a bit random how I'd introduced Flo at that point, but it's because you're working in the same area, yeah. and I know from the pre-chat I haven't had a chance to talk to Flo yet not least because she's so busy with preparing her TED talk but I think you'd like to spend some time perhaps in a maternity unit yeah I really would yeah wouldn't that be amazing yeah fingers crossed so perhaps Flo can help organize that I'm sure she can yeah no I just think I think one of the real benefits of the training scheme that I'm on is that we have the freedom and the opportunities to be able to do things like that which is incredible and I'm really lucky to be able to experience that so I'd really like to spend some time in a maternity unit and see the other places that our patients go for their care and how it all joins up and how it all becomes kind of integrated around the patient which obviously is a huge focus of yours (laughs) yeah so and I've had incredible opportunities like that my whole time on the scheme not all fantastic unfortunately I think I told you in our pre-chat during my induction period I was lucky enough to be able to scrub in on a surgery a vascular surgery which was you know this was my first two weeks in the NHS (laughs) and I never thought I'd get an opportunity like that as a trainee manager and it was incredible but I turned up on the day at the place that they'd said and we got there and the person at the desk said that they weren't going to let me in because I was in a wheelchair. Wow. And they said that nobody had told them that I was in a wheelchair, that couldn't I just stand up, things like that, which was really 
hurtful um and at the time it really and inappropriate inappropriate yeah couldn't you just stand up it's not right unfortunately yeah but I was really lucky that you know I found there's a lot of really great allyship in the NHS and the colleague that I was with another trainee who'd started the same time as me so we'd known each other for approximately a week he said well if you're not allowed in then I'm not going in and brilliant that really made the whole situation feel so much better I think without that display of solidarity and you know colleagueship I I really would have struggled to carry on and be positive so yeah I think things like that are so important for people with disabilities and long-term conditions working in the NHS because it is difficult and it's not that accessible but knowing that your colleagues support you is everything and to get those opportunities you know I think managers in the NHS senior managers in the NHS they need every opportunity to experience as much as they can what's happening at grassroots level and for you to get those opportunities but then to be denied by the system rather than because somebody hasn't managed to make those links and make that happen for you I haven't even told you I don't think about you will find on the internet a slightly famous photo of me in scrubs going around Kingston theatres with Flo because we were preparing to do a Who's Shoes project around theatres together and I was obviously trying to crowdsource real material, real voices, so to chat to people, to chat to them on the phone, but also to actually kind of walk the walk and go around. And it was interesting what I spotted. I remember there was a photo board with the team and I asked some quite pertinent questions, I think, about who the team is and perhaps got them thinking about who was on the photo and who wasn't on the photo. So I think fresh eyes sometimes as well. So you're not just taking by having these opportunities. You're really feeding back and some key learning as a new person coming in. And particularly you coming in in your wheelchair, you'd see things differently again. Yeah. Very differently. Yeah. I mean, even, even you know, metaphorically about physically, I'm on a different height. <laughs> I, yes. th- I see yeah. things very differently. And yeah, it's it's really interesting what you're saying about the importance of senior managers in the NHS being able to experience things at grassroots level. And of course, you know, a lot of fantastic senior managers in the NHS come from clinical backgrounds. And so they understand already. But I think for somebody in my position who is on a training scheme, it's potentially someone's first proper job straight fresh out of university you know I don't I don't have a clinical background at all I studied English um, <laughs> and and that's another story how I came to to want to work in the NHS but it was really it is really important to me to be able to understand how the system functions and how how the experience is for our patients you know I've had my own experiences as a patient I'd say I'm I'm certainly a professional and a patient. I think that experience as a patient and as a professional is incredibly rich. And I'm starting to think of, I suppose, one of the things I try and do now as the podcast series grows a bit is weave some magic threads through it and perhaps make some connections. So a very recent podcast episode was with Rachel Crook, a paediatric nurse who's also, and, and first and foremost, a mum of two young girls who've got some health needs. And we got into this conversation about being on both sides of a fence and why there needs to be a fence. So that was 
Interesting. And another thread that I didn't want to lose just from the conversation we've had so far, a previous podcast guest, Angela Cornwall, who's got two children that she's supported, obviously as a mum, but as a family carer, one of whom her daughter's got a very rare condition and then her son, he's autistic. And again, the innovation, I think this is something we could perhaps come on to a bit, that people who see things differently can bring. And she talked about two things that fascinated me. One was a patient passport. So with really key information up front about that very rare condition, because no clinician in the world could be expected to know all about everything and how important that was, but sometimes not being heard and and so on. But the other one that was directly relevant to what you were talking about was her speedy boarding initiative. And in terms of adjustments that can be made perhaps for someone who's autistic, Mm -hmm. to be able to have an appointment that doesn't give them sensory overload, perhaps to have the first appointment in the day, not to have to go into a busy waiting room and ultimately making the difference. I mean, you were talking about annual health checks for people with learning disabilities, whether they actually can attend. And then from the system side of things, if for some reason that didn't work out and they couldn't get to that appointment, it becomes a did not attend, Mm -hmm. as opposed to all these stories that sit behind why. So I suppose with whose shoes we're trying to learn about Mm -hmm. why and then for the system to to respond to that. So come on, Daisy, tell us about how you came to be in the NHS. Why are you on this graduate scheme? Yes, I mean, coming from a degree in English, it does seem a little bit random, doesn't it? (laughs) So my, my story, my background, I would you believe it, despite the wheelchair. Now, I, I began my career as a professional ballet dancer, a vocational ballet dancer. Um, I wow, went... I didn't oh, really? know that. So that didn't, <laughs> no, that didn't come up in our pre-chat. I, I um, yeah, so I, I trained very seriously. I went to vocational boarding school at the age of 11. Um, and I trained full time until I was 18. And unfortunately, I sustained an injury. And I had to have surgery on that injury. Um, and one of those surgeries um, gave me some nerve damage and triggered a rare condition called complex regional pain syndrome. And I was unable to continue with my career after that. So I was 18 years old. I didn't have any GCSEs, no A-levels, um, because I'd spent my entire, I'd put all my eggs in the ballet basket. My goodness. And I had to, you know, and I, I had to decide where I was going to go from there. And I was really lucky and I received some fantastic pain treatment on the NHS. Um, I was seen by Chelsea and Westminster Hospital's pain clinic um, who changed my life because the pain that I had from this condition was, I, I'm unable to describe how bad it was. Um, I was I was unable to work, I was unable to study. It's, yeah, I mean, if you Google complex regional pain syndrome, you see some pictures of, of what your limbs look like when you have this condition and it's not pretty. Um, and it had a huge, huge effect on my life and my quality of life and because I had lost my career and my vocation and I was unable to kind of move forward I and I was in this completely uncontrollable pain at the age of 18 I actually also developed an eating disorder I developed anorexia and I was extremely lucky that I was seen at a specialist mental health trust within two weeks which 
was unheard of even at the time. Um, I was extremely lucky. The treatment I received really did make all the difference. And I'm, I'm very well now from that perspective. So I ended up, um, I was able to kind of get through some A-levels and I decided to think about applying to university. Um, and I was actually really lucky and I, I got a place at Cambridge as a mature student. So I went to study English at Cambridge. And during that time, I was offered a very unusual treatment for my pain condition on the NHS called dorsal root ganglion stimulation. And I, I thought this sounds very strange. I'm not sure about this, but I tried everything else at that point. I was on lots of medications, including strong opioids. Um, I wasn't really able to concentrate. I wasn't functioning very well. And my quality of life was still very, very poor. And so I agreed to have this procedure and it's sort of essentially, if I describe it, it's the same components as a pacemaker. It's a battery and it's an electrical lead, but they put it inside your spinal cord. And when they switch on it, it gives this kind of electrical current um, and it tingles um, and it sort of, it's like a TENS machine. I don't know if you've heard of TENS machines. Yes, I have. I know they're really common in maternity. Yes, yeah, it's like are, a TENS yeah. machine on steroids. <laughs> so it's, it's inside the spine. Um, it's very clever technology. And with this procedure, when they implant it, they wake you up halfway through the surgery and they switch it on to test if it's in the right place and if it's working. And they woke me up and they switched it on. And the pain that I'd had for seven years at this point instantly went from a seven out of 10 to a one out of 10 instantly like a light bulb my goodness yeah and I just I just started crying because I hadn't ever dreamed that it would work and work as well as it did and it instantly changed my life and I've had the device for almost five years now actually um, which is amazing it's come up so quickly and yeah kind of after my amazing experiences with mental health treatment before and the absolutely outstanding treatment of this dorsal root ganglion stimulator that I received at Chelsea Westminster I decided that I really wanted to be able to use the opportunity that it had given me because I now was capable of working I was able to work and have a job and do something like that and I decided I really wanted to use it to give back and help people in positions like yeah. me and I thought well how can I do that with an English degree <laughs> and I found out about the training scheme and so I, I applied just before COVID hit and I was really really lucky to get a place it's it's really competitive and I was placed in an amazing area with fantastic placements that have given me so much learning and I absolutely love my time on the scheme and I do feel like I'm making a difference and it's it's really rewarding to be able to use the opportunity that I was given with this treatment because it's it was a long it was over a year the um, process to get this treatment it was done with some kind I think it might have been on specialist commissioning so there was a whole process on that side I think that they had to go through and they don't implant them very often so I was really really lucky and I, I'm so grateful for it every day. And I'm so grateful that I'm able to use it to help other people access treatment on the NHS. You know, it's it's so nice. Now in this placement, I'm, I'm seeing the impact, which I didn't have so much in commissioning because you're further removed. But in a service, in the perinatal service, I, I get to know how the people we're treating, how they're doing, how their bond with their baby is. You know, we, we've had some patients who work as peer support workers for us now. They, they want to use their experience 
with our team to help other women like them and I just think that's amazing and I feel very lucky to be able to see that happening. Well honestly Daisy I think in that story alone you've made it worth me doing the podcast series and that sounds a bit cheesy but you know I'm here to share stories and that is such an amazing story and the way that you've turned something so you know impossibly difficult into something so positive and you use the word you've used it several times lucky but it's so well deserved and I'm sure the people who recruit for the graduate scheme you're the kind of people that they're looking for and in terms of like compassion and empathy and management you know so NHS managers sometimes get criticized and they're removed and to have people that bring all of that and I can't imagine I mean in terms of like the light bulb moments or when you were talking about I think one thing that really got to me was the idea of waking up during an operation to see how your pain's going to be. You know, that must have been so scary waiting because I do know a bit about waiting for results. I've had my own cancer experience and I know something about, you know, the waiting and the idea that you could wake up and your life could be transformed. And I mean, I can see that what I'm saying is, is affecting you and, and you're affecting me as well. And I think that emotion needs to come through a little bit on the podcast series because, you know, that, that's people, mm -hmm. isn't it? Talking and discovering and, and hearing each other's stories. And I think your courage in sharing that story today. Um, honestly, I'm going to be so fascinated to watch your progress in the future. I love talking to these young guests. I've had um, Aisha as well. I don't know if you saw Aisha Farouk I've spoken to recently so Aisha is a young NHS mm -hmm. leader who's doing some incredible work. So you might be yeah. interested in listening to her story. And also, I know we've mentioned in the pre-chat, my friendship with Zainab mm -hmm. Garbasani. So she's my big NHS graduate management scheme alumni pal. And seeing her now, she's got an incredible opportunity coming up in, well, now really in September going off to join a really prestigious scheme in America. I'm just so proud of her. You know, the, the connections and, and for me to be able to connect you to some of these people. Mm -hmm. I know we've also connected with Fran Whitehead. Yeah. So she's a, a graduate management trainee. She's on the policy and strategy specialist. Oh, you've managed to. Yeah, it was very strange. After we chatted um, on Friday, the very next meeting I was in, she was there. <laughs> and we'd never met before, but suddenly it, this connection just happened. It was very strange. It was such a coincidence. <laughs> and that happens so much in life, doesn't it? It's when you've never heard of a particular word and then now you, you hear about it everywhere. Yeah, exactly. So Fran Whitehead got me involved in the leadership programme and I came along and gave a talk to the graduate trainees about whose shoes and about co-production with Zainab, which was amazing. And these connections and opportunities are obviously helping me as well to help whose shoes get a bit, you know, better known and reaching different people. It's it's exciting. Yeah, really exciting. And um, yeah, it's it's really great that you're able to connect with people at all different stages of their leadership journey. I think it, it's so important to hear from the expertise and the experience of really well-established senior leaders in the NHS, but having the opportunity to talk to people right at the beginning where the reason, you know, like me, the reason that I chose to work in the NHS is still so fresh and so with me with everything I do. I think it, it just gives a different perspective and 
potentially like an inkling into the direction that we might be heading in in the future by the time you know my cohort of trainees and the ones after me are those established leaders in the NHS. And I love the fact I mean it actually brings us full circle in a way so I haven't told you how I know Lisa Mm. Rodriguez and that's through the Darcy fellowship program so there's a new cohort it's smaller than than your scheme there's about 25 typically I think it used to be more than that in fact there used to be two cohorts but for the last I think it's about 10 years or so I've got involved using whose shoes with these amazing people it's my favorite piece of work honestly so Professor Becky Malby runs the program it's a one-year program with a mix of a one-year placement and academic learning And as part of a really effective, I love it, three-day module that they do around Mm co-production, we use Who's Shoes on the afternoon of day one. And then on day two and day three, the fellows go and visit really good examples of co-production in action. Mm -hmm. And I've had the pleasure and the privilege of going on a couple of trips with them. So I've been up to the Alvinley Family GP Centre up in Stockport Mm -hmm. and learned firsthand with them about social prescribing Mm -hmm. from this innovative Mm -hmm. practice I've been out to Bromley by Bow in London with them and honestly I felt like somebody going along with an apprentice team so there's quite a big age gap between me and and them and being part of this team and being a bit of an observer myself in terms of watching to see who the leaders are and whether we you know we were on the London Underground this this journey or that journey and just seeing how the different characters sort of play off against mm-hmm. each other. So in terms of my who's shoes perspective, I mean, you know, I've gone off at a bit of a tangent, but I find that kind of thing absolutely fascinating, yeah. how these leaders all come together. Mm-hmm. And I think what I really love about a lot of the programmes that the NHS Leadership Academy run, you know, obviously they run GMTS, which is the scheme I'm on, and the Elizabeth Garrett Anderson programme. And I think the thing that I find from alumni of any programme that the Leadership Academy runs is how much the graduates from those programs give back. My action learning set facilitator who stays with me for the full two years of the scheme, he is a Darcy Fellowship graduate and he now gives back by facilitating these sessions for trainees. Fantastic. And yeah, and the amount of ex-trainees I've come across in different systems in the NHS who always, always, always want to help out a current trainee is amazing and it makes me really look forward to being an ex-trainee who can help out a current trainee and support the next generation of leaders in the NHS. And I think that is something that runs really strongly through any graduate of an NHS Leadership Academy cohort. And I'm sure you told me that both Sir Simon Stevens and Amanda Pritchard are alumni of your scheme. So wouldn't this be amazing? Because the original motivation for me setting up the podcast, which I'm absolutely loving, so... I'd be doing it anyway, but being named as an HSJ 100 wildcard and the challenge was really for them to, this was HSJ, to be selecting people who the formal leaders of the NHS, so the new at the time Chief Executive Amanda Pritchard should be listening to. And I said, well, hey, it's not me that she should be listening to. It's all these amazing people that I'm pulling together. So if you've got any influence in at any point helping Amanda Pritchard become aware of the series and perhaps she'll be listening to this one day, Daisy, who knows? Let's be ambitious. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) But for me, it's the networking. So I've mentioned that I've worked for 
all of these years with the Darcy fellows, the, the different cohorts. And I love staying in touch with them and I love seeing what they go on to do. And many of them, the majority, I'm sure, in this country, but also making an influence globally. You know, one or two that I keep up closely in Australia and so on. It's just so interesting and to feel that those people who are learning about real co-production, working with patients, working, you know, let's not call them patients, with people, the Darcy Fellows call them citizens, to actually work with them to see how individual healthcare needs can be improved and the system can be improved. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's it's amazing to see the cascade effect and the reach, actually, that something like this has and that you have and the impact that you have on your connections, which in turn has an impact on anyone who's listening to the podcast or who's participated in Who's Shoes or you've met through co-production workshops like with the Darcy Fellowship. And I, I'm really hoping you do some more work with graduate management trainees because I think that it, <laughs> you could fit in perfectly with our experiential learning sessions and it would bring a really interesting perspective to what we do as people who don't have that clinical experience and potentially are on our first experiences working in the NHS so I think I think it'll be fantastic oh well thank you and let's hope we can we can make that happen because I, I just love I love working with young people I love working with people at an earlier stage in their career so probably like Lisa you know I'm the same age as, as Lisa or pretty much and I think both of us would be really fired up by just feeding back some of that experience in a way Obviously, Lisa's got the the clinical background. I'm like you now. The thing I hadn't mm. told you was my degree was in French and Latin. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and people want to put you in boxes. It's hilarious. So, I worked for a long time, like f forever, really, in social care. So that was my sort of professional background, if you like. But I wasn't a social worker. But in print, I'm a social worker. People have written about me and they make a leap and they say Jill's a social worker. So in print, I have been in different publications, a social worker, a doctor, a midwife and even an obstetrician. Yeah, <laughs> which is absolutely hilarious. Oh and as I hope you know, I don't claim to be anything other than what I'm doing. But all I'm doing is and it's just this word isn't it I've just used it all I'm doing is but whose shoes is so simple it's about crowdsourcing real perspectives real scenarios quite provocative some of them quite quirky to help people relax and talk to each other have a bit of fun be human but through that it's just a tool really to bring people together to talk about the things that matter and to come together as human beings. So we've got very much with flow, no hierarchy, just people. Come to a Who's Shoes event, you don't wear your NHS uniform, you don't have a lanyard, you don't say, oh, I'm the chief executive, remind me little person who you are, which I'm sure people don't mean to say that, but that's how it can be received by people. Whereas if you say, well, actually... You know, senior role in the hospital, but I've got my, my own mum with dementia or my own child with a learning disability. It cuts through that hierarchy of power and people come up with extraordinary solutions together. Yeah, it's amazing. And yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? It's coming back to bringing the whole you to work. Yeah. And um, bringing the you that's a carer, bringing the you who's a mum or a dad or a brother or a sister bringing the you who's a wheelchair user in my case 
and yeah. seeing actually how enriching that can be to the work that you're doing and what a difference bringing those perspectives can make to the people that you are trying to make a difference for and I've just had to be honest a bit of a kind of lemon light bulb myself in terms of probably if I had to pick out the biggest thing that's happened in my kind of professional working time if you like it would be that all of those things that you've just mentioned would have been taboo all of them you know you came to work not just as a, a doctor or a nurse but all of us really and you left yourself at the door so I was working through having three young children and it's so nice now that the whole human being is is not sorted yet it's not perfect but people are seeking to know the whole person and to employ you as a person rather than just from a formal job description I think it's very very healthy yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And people like you will make a big difference in terms of perception and rocking it and telling them where they can put their <laughs> assumptions. <laughs> I hope so. I really do. I do hope so. It's it's challenging, but <laughs> every day I like to think I'm challenging the perception of what people think I can and can't do just because my legs don't work very well. <laughs> And if I can help you a tiny bit with that, then I'll say my, my job will be done. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So it's been so lovely talking to you, Daisy. I love talking to young people. You know, you're at the start of your career and I can see you going so far. So good luck with everything that you do and please stay in touch. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I hope you have enjoyed this episode. If so, please subscribe now to hear more of these fascinating conversations on your favourite podcast platform. And please leave a review. I tweet as Who's Shoes. Thank you for being on this journey with me. And let's hope that together we can make a difference. <laughs>